Today is a day that we get to celebrate something wonderful. We get to celebrate the resurrection of our Savior. So today, my goal and our goal as a church today is one is to make you feel very welcome. If you are a guest here today, thank you very much for being our guest. Thank you very much for honoring us with, and allowing us to celebrate Easter with you. But our goal for today as a church, and everything that we do, we sing, we pray, we read the God's Word, as we, we look at God's Word now and try to apply it to our lives, is ultimately so that you can experience life. We want to help you understand that you can experience not just the old life, you can experience a new life in Jesus Christ. In the Bible, in John chapter number 20, verse 31, it says, But these are written. Now, the man who wrote this book is a man named John. He had a lot of, a lot of imagination. The name of the book is called John. It was written by John. He, at the very end, near the end of this book, he wrote these, this line. And he says, I've written all this about Jesus' birth, about his life, about his miracles, about his death, and ultimately about his resurrection for this very purpose. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, and here's the key, I underlined it, you may have life in His name. That's our goal for today, that you will experience life. If you are a regular here at Southwest Baptist Church, you'll understand this part. Every single Sunday, we have a principle. We want you to be able to go home with something that you've received. And upstairs with the children, your children, we have different lessons. And we expect you when you go home, you say, now, what did you learn today? And you hope that they'll be able to tell you something. Just as a side note, they're talking about Jesus' resurrection today, okay? Upstairs. And they answer, and they may someday turn it around on you and say, what did you learn in church? And we want you to help you understand what we're talking about here today. So we have a principle. It's on the screen for you to follow. If you have a bulletin, you can follow along in the notes inside of your bulletin. And it says this, I can have confidence to believe Jesus because of his resurrection. And this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to walk through the account of Jesus' death and resurrection. We're going to read it in the Scripture, and then we're going to seek to apply it to our lives and find out how we can live differently as a result. And at the end of that time, I'm going to ask for a response from you. What is God telling you to do? So as we begin this morning, I, I would like to begin in prayer. And as I do often, I'm going to invite you to silently pray along with me and say, God, you brought me here for a reason today. Will you help me to know that reason? Will you help me to understand that reason? In other words, you're saying, God, I'm open. What do you have to teach me today? Let's pray and dedicate this time to God. Lord, I thank you for a day that we get to celebrate the fact that you rose from the dead. You did quite literally the impossible so that we can have a relationship with you through Jesus Christ. God, thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for a day that we can celebrate Jesus' resurrection. And I, Lord, I pray for each and every one of us here today that we will leave as people that are closer to you, that we'll grow in our relationship with you and be the people you created us to be. And in Jesus' name, amen. 
when Jesus was speaking to Martha, he was talking to her, and he says in John chapter 11, verses 25 and 26, he says this, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. And then he asks a question in the next verse. Do you believe this? And that answer to her question for her changed her life, not just for the short term, but ultimately that's the answer that every single one of us has to answer ourselves. Is Jesus who he says he is? Is he the really the resurrection and the life? Is he the savior of the world? And Jesus asks Martha this question. Do you believe this? So as we read through the scripture today, as we talk through some different points this morning, I want you to ask yourself the question, do I believe this? And if I do believe this, what am I going to do about it? Give you a little bit of background. This is the this passage we're about to read in John chapter number 19 as at the end of the book of John. He's already been born. He's already lived a perfect life. He's grown up. He's now gathered around him 12 disciples who followed him for about three and a half years. He performed miracles. Thousands of people followed him. And he was preaching and teaching. And he was bringing people to himself ultimately to be rejected. And he was rejected by mankind. He was rejected by the religious leaders. He was rejected by society himself. But ultimately, he was put in that position because God knew from the very beginning that he was going to be the Savior of the world. You look back in the very beginning of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, God talks about the fact that he was going to send a Savior. They were always looking forward to this coming Messiah, this Jesus Christ. Jesus ultimately was arrested, he was tried, he was crucified, and he died on a cross. Let's begin reading in John chapter number 19, and we're going to read through, I'm going to skip through some verses through here so we can get the story and get the account of Jesus dying on the cross and then ultimately rising from the dead. Let's begin reading. It's on the screen if you don't have your Bibles, but if you do have your Bibles, let me encourage you to open them to John 19. We'll begin reading in verse number 5. It says this, so Jesus came out wearing a crown of thorns and, a, and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Go down to verse number 16. So he delivered him over to be crucified. And they took Jesus, and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross, and it read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Continuing that passage to verse number 31. Since it was the day of Pentecost, and so the bodies would not remain. Jesus has now died on the cross, and now they've taken the body off the cross. And so the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day. The Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken, and they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus, they saw he was already dead, and they did not break his legs. 
But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and once there came out blood and water. And he who saw it bore witness. Now, he who saw it bore witness, he's talking about himself. He's saying, I'm an eyewitness account. This man, John, I'm an eyewitness account. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth. And here's why. That you also may believe. Continue in verse 36. For these things took place that the Scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another Scripture says, they will look upon him whom they have pierced. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, and about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths and spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now the place where, they, where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden was a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. That's the end of chapter number 19. Going to chapter number 20 and verse number 1, we have, that was the, 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 the crucifixion, and now we have the resurrection, the Sunday morning, what we celebrate every single Sunday, we can remember the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it begins in verse number 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw the stone that had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple. The other disciple is John, the, the author of this book. The one whom Jesus loved. And he, he said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going towards the tomb. They're having an incredible running race back to the tomb. Both of them were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping in, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. And he saw the linen clothes lying there and, and, the, and the face cloth, which, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded in a place by itself. In verse number 8, then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. This is an incredible account, and we've read through it quite quickly, and, but if you begin to mull over the crucifixion, you understand the, the agonizing pain, you understand the blood, the torment, the screams of pain by those that were being crucified, you understand the weeping of the people that were witnessing this, you understand the anguish of the loss of these people taking Jesus' body off a cross, wrapping it in clothes, and bringing it along to a tomb, and lying it in a tomb, and saying, Oh, well, it was good while it lasted. He was an incredible teacher. I thought he was the Savior of the world. And you lie him in a tomb. The, the other passages of the Bible 
tell they rolled a huge stone in front of the tomb and they had Roman soldiers there standing in guard in front of the tomb. And But thank God there was a Sunday coming. And thank God that wasn't the end of the story. Now today, I don't know if it's passed you by, but today is April 1st, April Fool's Day. And if your family is anything like my family, we like to celebrate the first of the month with a ritual that really shows a, a family that's close together and loving. We pinch and punch each other at the beginning of every month. And we say, pinch and a punch, first of the month. Then you just shout, no returns, otherwise they can punch you back. And then we started off this morning with that wonderful once a month ritual. And maybe your family likes April Fool's jokes. And you are much like this people who did these when you wrap the grapes into the, the, the wrappers and makes it look like an egg and the disappointment there. So you may think of yourself, I don't like being tricked. And if you're anything like me, I hate being the butt of a joke. I don't mind seeing someone else laughed at, but me, I don't care for it at all. I don't want to be laughed at. I don't want to be the butt of a joke. I don't like being tricked or fooled or made fun of or laughed at. I don't like to be the one that's confused. And one of the things that's the worst is always watching over your shoulder is someone going to get me. When I was in college in the U.S., I, I, had, I um, had a group of friends that were much like this. Any opportunity they could trick you, any opportunity they could get you, whack you, hit you when you weren't expecting it, they were not really very good friends in hindsight. But they were my friends, and I was always watching out for them. So any opportunity they had to trick me, that's what they would do. But the problem is, it's not very fun. Because you walk through a door, and you're always cautious. You can't just walk in normally. You're waiting for someone to jump out, or someone to hit you, or whack you with something. And I had a friend uh, while I was in college, and I went to visit him in his apartment. He lived on the third floor of his apartment complex. And I walked up to what I thought was his door. And because I know that any opportunity he could have to mess with me, he would take it, I knocked on this door with confidence, and I went to the second floor, not the third floor. And I knocked on a stranger's door with confidence, because I wasn't going to show any weakness when I knocked on his door. And this, this stranger opens up, and he says, hello. And I said, hi. And I begin to walk in, because... A stranger, and I know it's my friend who's always going to mess with me at any opportunity. I'm not going to show any weakness. I'm going to walk in like I own the place. And this guy looks at me, and he puts his foot in front of me like this, like, like you're not getting in here. And I go, come on now. Like, where's Sam? Like, I try to walk past him. He goes, like, like looks at me like, I'm going to kill you if you take another step. And I, I, I kept, kept getting on because I thought, you know, Sam's friends, they'll mess with me, and they'll bring it on until I start crying if I'm not careful. So I acted like, no, let me in. He goes, this is the wrong house. And then I realized, oh, I got the wrong apartment. I profusely apologized, walked backwards very carefully so he wouldn't shoot me. And I went to the third floor, and I've never told anyone that story ever. Because <laughs> I wasn't going to tell my friends that, they, that I went to the wrong place. Because they'll mess with you. I don't like being confused. And probably you're the same way. You don't want to be an April fool. You don't want to go in and say, well, Jesus, you were really a good teacher, but you're not the Savior of the world. I don't want to be fooled by following a religion. 
Thank God we don't have a religion. We have a relationship with God. And He's not there to mess with us. He's not there to confuse us. He's there to bring us in like young children with a father that says, I love you and I care for you. I have a plan and a purpose for your life. I want you to know. And that's why John wrote in John chapter 20, verse 31, that you will have life by believing. He says, I've written these things so you will know that you have the life. Our principle again is, I can have confidence to believe Jesus because of His resurrection. This morning, we're going to look at three different areas that we can trust Jesus. And because I can trust Jesus, and Jesus turns my, and we have three different points. Jesus turns my, first one is fear to courage. The second one, He turns our unbelief to confidence. And the third is, He, be, he turns our belief into life. So this morning, we have these three points. We're going to go through them fairly quickly. And I want you to mull over. Remember the question I asked in the very beginning? Do you believe? Is this for you? He doesn't want you to be confused. He doesn't want you to be tricked. So first of all, Jesus turns my fear into courage. I believe the scariest thing in the entire world is the unknown. When you don't know what's beyond that door, it's scary. If you think that there's something in the water, you know, you're never going to get it in. When you hear the da-na-da-na-up music, you're never going to get in because you think something's there. Because I don't know if it's there or not. Is Jaws under the water waiting for me? That's the scariest thing. The scariest thing for life is the unknown. The universal question we all must ask ourselves is, what happens when we close our eyes in death? The unknown is scary. Thank God He turns our fear into courage. The disciples, after Jesus rose from the dead, the, the book of John records that He appeared to Mary Magdalene, and He also later appeared to His disciples and then appeared again to Thomas and the disciples. And we're going to look through the, the appearing before the disciples and also appearing and reappearing before the disciples and also a man named, one of his disciples named Thomas. But first of all, we see the fact that he turns our fear to courage. In verses 19 and 20 of John 20, it says this, On the evening of the first day, this is the evening of Jesus' resurrection. He rose from the dead in the morning, and this is the evening. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked. Now you have in here ten burly men who are tough men. And they're sitting in a room with a locked door. Why? Because for fear of the Jews. Can you imagine these men? Their Savior, the man they put all their trust in, had died, been buried, and somehow his body is disappeared. And they're sitting there in fear with a locked door because they're afraid that the same thing that would happen to Jesus was going to happen to them too. And they're sitting in this room Then all of a sudden as it says there, Jesus came and stood among them. Now first of all, this is a bit of my sense of humor. Could you imagine sitting in a room, probably the lights were quite dim because they didn't want anyone to know that they were in there. The doors locked. They're feeling kind of secure, but still a little bit nervous. And all of a sudden Jesus comes and says to them, peace be with you. Now, I see that as being like, boo. And you imagine, if just a human nature, they, and they go, oh, it's Jesus. And he says to them, peace be with you. Verse number 20. 
When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. They went from being afraid and probably a little bit scared because Jesus, the first thing he says is, peace be with you. Don't be afraid. Which typical, if you're, if you're in a dark, scary room and someone says anything to you at all, you're still going to be scared. But he turns their fear into courage. He first of all, in verse number 19, he offers them peace. It's all well and good for someone to say, just have peace. You know, they've been saying it for a long time. You know, make peace, not war. And we see more wars taking place in our world than we ever have in the past. John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus says this, I have said these things to you that you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. That word, that word tribulation quite literally means pressure. He says, in the world, there's going to be outside pressures. Are you facing pressures today? There's pressures to perform. There's pressures to appear to have everything all together. There's, a, there's pressure to have all the right answers immediately as soon as the, the question's asked. Life is filled with pressure. It's filled with uncertainty. Jesus says, I've come along and I'm giving you peace. Other passages of the Bible talk about the fact that Jesus or God gives us peace that passes all understanding. We think we understand peace, but until you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, you really don't have peace. The peace that we know when we close our eyes in death, I know without a shadow of a doubt I will open them in the very presence of God because of what the Bible says. That God has given me that peace. He's also, he gives his disciples reassurance. He turns their fear to courage by giving them reassurance. He shows them the evidence. He shows them his hands. He shows them his side with the spear mark in it. He says, look at this. I am real. I'm flesh and blood. I am real. I am here. I, have, I was the one that was on the cross. It's not a mistake. I have risen from the dead. I look at this as and a way to illustrate this like a mother or a father comforting a child. Now, these weren't children. These were men. You think about the assurance and the love that you have when you have a a child that's afraid, that's crying, that needs comforting, and you have the parent hugging the child and saying, it's all right. I'm here now. And if you can think back into your childhood, and some of you, it's not that long ago, when you needed a good hug from your mom or dad to be assured and to say, it's all right. And it's amazing. When you're in the presence of your parents, you go, oh, I'm safe now. God, in a very real way, says this. I have overcome the world. He gives them assurance. He gives them the hope that they don't just have to rely on themselves any longer. They had already recognized they, were, they weren't strong enough. They already recognized that they were afraid. So he turns their fear to courage by giving them peace and assurance. Moving on from that, we see that he turns our unbelief into confidence. For the next week, the disciples were telling Thomas, 
the one disciple that wasn't in the room at the time, the Messiah, he's come. Jesus, he, he rose from the dead. He's back. And Thomas, being a typical guy, responded in a typical guy way. Let's read in verse number 24. Now, Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the marks of the nails and place my finger in the marks of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will. And he makes a very definitive statement. I will never believe. Unless I have all the evidence before me, unless I know every single fact, unless I understand everything, I will never believe. Eight days later, the following Sunday, Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, he did it again. I wonder if they were ready for this time. Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, you imagine, he appears in this room. These 11 men now are in the room, and Jesus again says, peace be with you. The doors are locked. They probably go, and then he goes and directs it straight towards Thomas. And he says this in verse number 27. And he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put your, your hand in the place in my side. And here's something I underlined for you on the screen. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Now he responded with, I now believe. You're not just, any, you're not just a ghost. You're not just a figment of our imagination. You're not just a happy thought. You are my Lord and my God. Verse 29, Jesus said to him, You have believed because you have seen me. Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. Jesus says to him, to Thomas specifically, and really by inference to you and I today, do not remain in your unbelief. Don't remain the old way any longer believe so that you can now live the new life. Jesus offered Thomas all the evidence he asked for. On the screen, we have a video in just a moment by a man named Lee Strobel. And he wrote a book and did a great deal of research about this, trying to disprove Jesus Christ. When I was an atheist and legal editor of the Chicago Tribune, I would have smirked at the fact that Easter this year falls on April Fool's Day. Because back then, I thought that anyone would have to be a fool to think that Jesus literally rose from the dead. One day, my wife gave me the news that she'd become a Christian. And so I decided to take my journalism training and legal training and debunk the resurrection of Jesus. So I spent two years of my life analyzing the historical data. And what I found really shocked me. I recounted in my book, The Case for Miracles. First of all, I found that there's no dispute among scholars that Jesus was dead after being crucified. Uh, the famous atheist New Testament scholar, Gerd Ludeman, says it's historically indisputable that he was dead. The Journal of the American Medical Association says that based on the historical and medical evidence, that Jesus was clearly dead even before the wound to his side was inflicted. Second, we have early reports of the resurrection of Jesus. 
reports that come so quickly you can't just write them off as being a legend. In fact, we have one report of the resurrection, including named eyewitnesses, that has been dated back by scholars to within months of the death of Jesus. Friends, that is historical gold. Third, we have the empty tomb, and I found that even the opponents of Jesus implicitly conceded that the tomb of Jesus was empty. And then fourth, we have nine ancient sources inside and outside the New Testament confirming and corroborating the conviction of the disciples that they encountered the resurrected Jesus. Friends, that is an avalanche of historical data. And then we have seven ancient sources inside and mostly outside the New Testament that confirm that the disciples lived lives of deprivation and suffering as a result of their proclamation that Jesus had risen. Why were they willing to do that? Because they heard a rumor that he'd risen? No, because they were there. They touched him. They ate with him. They talked with him. They knew the truth. And knowing the truth, they were willing to proclaim it, even despite the suffering they endured. Friends, I spent two years investigating this evidence. And it came down to one day when I reviewed it all and I thought, you know what? Based on the historical data, my verdict is that Jesus not only claimed to be the Son of God, he backed up that claim by returning from the dead. And that's the moment that I decided to confess my sin, to turn from that, to receive this free gift of forgiveness and eternal life that Jesus purchased for me on the cross. And at that moment, I became a child of God. Some people have a rush of emotion at that moment. I didn't. You know what I had? I had the rush of reason. Because the resurrection of Jesus is not some April Fool's Day joke. It is a historical reality based not on mythology or make-believe or wishful thinking, but a solid foundation of historical truth. Jesus turns fear into courage. He turns unbelief into confidence. He also turns our belief into life. Not just life for now, but life forever in eternity with God one day. We have something to look forward to. The fact that the Bible teaches that here on earth, He has a purpose for us. He didn't create us to save us and say, I'll see you in eternity one day. You go work out life for yourself. He says, I will be with you every step of the way. We have God living inside us through the Holy Spirit. He guides us and protects us. He gives us life not just for now, but ultimately in heaven one day we have life to look forward to. Real, true life when we're in the very presence of God. But in the meantime, we have life to live. And there's a great deal of uncertainty within our world. There's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of the fact that we're, we have unbelief. There's a lot of times when we don't feel like God is close to us. But there's a difference between a fact and a feeling. I don't always feel like I'm saved. That, what I mean by that is, it's not that anything God's done. It's because of me, my feelings. And sorry to admit, but I go up and I go down. Some days I'm happy. Other days I'm less happy. My, my wife would call it grumpy. And you're up and down. We're all over the place. Our emotions. But that doesn't change the fact of what God has done for us. Many of you live far apart from family, and, and as do I. 
I have family members that live far away, and um, you kind of dread the late night phone call. You don't. You dread hearing the phone ring after a certain time of night because you know the only time that phone ever rings late at night is because someone is either very, very sick or someone's passed away. And it's a horrible phone call to get. My wife and I experienced it about eight months ago when my wife's father passed away very suddenly from a heart attack. Thank God he knew Jesus Christ as his Savior. And we celebrate the fact that we know where he is. But it's a horrible feeling. The feeling of, I don't have all the answers. There's nothing that I can do to bring him back. I can't help him. And it's a horrible thing to get a phone call late at night. And many of you have experienced that also. In John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, the author John writes this. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of, his, of the disciples, of which are not written in this book. But what he has written, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. We are not guaranteed of tomorrow. I hope I don't get one of those late night phone calls about you. But we may. And I don't want to be a doomsdayer or someone that makes you afraid. But at the same time, is that's the reality. Are you prepared personally if one of those phone calls, the late night phone calls, came about you? Are you prepared to stand before the Creator, the God of the universe, and Him to ask you, I offered you my free gift of salvation, Jesus Christ. What did you do with Jesus? What would you answer? Are you ready to answer that question? The well-known, in fact, probably the world's most famous evangelist, a man named Billy Graham. Billy Graham passed away in February, 99 years old. He lived a good life. I'd be a little bit annoyed making it 99, not making it quite to 100. He lived his life. For over 60 years, he traveled preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. He held humongous crusades inside of stadiums. They say that he physically preached to more people than anyone else, any ever. Absolutely incredible testimony. As an old man, he said this. It's on the screen for you. Someday you will read that Billy Graham is dead. Don't believe a word of it. I shall be more alive than I am now. I have, will have just changed my address. I will have gone into the presence of God. In 2005, before Newsweek, I did an interview with him. It's at Newsweek as a weekly magazine. And it's, he said this, Do I fear death? No. I look forward to death. Now stop right there. He's not some sadistic, weird guy that looks forward to killing people and you know, suicide pact stuff. That's the one he's looking forward to. What he's looking forward to? I look forward to death with great anticipation. I'm looking forward to seeing God face to face. And here's something for you and I. And that could happen any day. Jesus, when he came to earth, he came, as in John chapter 10, verse 10, it says, I am come that they may have life and have it 
abundantly. Part of the abundant life, I believe, is experiencing confidence in this life and confidence for the life to come. Jesus and His resurrection offers us that wonderful confidence that we know that if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, it's not because I just said so, it's because the Bible, the Word of God says so, that we can have confidence that when we close our eyes in death, we'll be in the very presence of God. Our principle again for today is this. I can have confidence to believe Jesus because of His resurrection. Today can be a day that you celebrate. The entire theme of today is the hope that you will experience life. I have three questions for you. Walk through them one by one. The first question is this. Will you believe Jesus? Sorry, that's the second question. Let me read the first one. In what way would you describe your relationship with Jesus? In what way would you describe that relationship? Would you describe it as belief or unbelief? I believe it's very important to recognize where you are. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you've placed your trust upon Him, if you've repented of your sin, if you've received His free gift of salvation, that's a one-time event. You don't have to keep on doing it. You don't have to keep on asking. It's like my wife. I am married. I'm happily married. My wife is... Oh, she's happily married too. And... I don't wake up next to her every day and go, oh, will you please marry me again? Or, or do you love me? Are you sure you love me? Do you not love me? I have confidence. In fact, if I constantly questioned it, I would have a hard time moving forward in my relationship with my wife. The similar way with God. If you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you've repented of your sin, the Bible says that you are saved. It's a fact, not a feeling, and you can move forward with confidence. But if you are in the unbelief, let me ask you the next question. Will you believe Jesus today? Will you place your trust upon Him as Savior? Will you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that He died on the cross to make a payment and cover your sin and my sin? Let's personalize it. Let's make it my sin. And you can say mine as well. He came to cover my sin. And all I have to do is to say, I don't want that anymore, God. I want your gift of salvation. I believe that you are who you say you are. I believe that you are the Son of God. I want your gift of salvation. Will you come and save me? The Bible says when we do that, He comes into us. He, quite literally, He says He washes us clean. He turns our dirtiness into white. He makes us white as snow, the Bible says. And He gives us life eternal life from that very moment. And the third question is the response that I like from you. Our response is, will you allow us to help you with that? At the end of the service, I will be at the front here. There'll be other people here if you want to pray with someone, if you just have questions, if you want to make an appointment for later in the week, I will be at the front. And although we have an Easter egg hunt, I don't care, sorry. I be here. The other people can be out there. We can talk about this as long as you need to so that you can know for sure that you, when you close your eyes in death, you'll be in the very presence of God. The other thing is, if you do know Jesus Christ as your Savior, today is a celebration day. And as we pray at the very end, you can say, not, not God, will you please save me? You can begin praying, God, thank you for saving me. Thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you for rising from the dead. In a moment, we're going to pray, 
And at the end of the service, I will be at the front. Others will be here at the front. And we would love to talk with you about how you can place your trust upon Jesus Christ and receive his free gift today. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for your love. Thank you for coming to earth, dying on the cross. Most of all, Lord, for rising from the dead. Lord, thank you for giving us life, not just for now, but for all eternity. And Lord, I pray for each and every person here that the message of your resurrection will not be lost on another, another day, another week. But we will respond quickly. That you will work in hearts right now. That we will be the people you want us to be and do the things that you want us to do. And I pray that each person will, will respond correctly. In Jesus' name, amen.